You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, you've heard people talk about angels a lot, right? Yeah, why are we so fascinated with angels? Well, they're cool. They do interesting things in the Bible. Yeah, and they show up on everything from greeting cards to refrigerator <laughs> magnets, right? So today we're going to look at angels in Hebrews, right? Uh, well, yes, but really we're going to look at angels in comparison to the Son of God. Yeah, much better study. Not angels today, but, but Jesus, Jesus on More, more Than, than Ink. Good morning. I'm Dorothy. And I'm Jim. And we are here at our dining room table, as we always are, to talk with you about the scriptures. Right. And we Got are my just, cup. We are so excited about entering this adventure into Hebrews, and we just barely scratched the surface on Boy, the introduction this, last this is week. A, this is going to be a fun exploration. Uh, this writer wastes no time getting right <laughs> into the, the guts of who is this who Jesus. Is and Jesus. kind of a, a, at the end of that argument at, at verses 1 to 4 was, you know, his name is more superior than any name ever given to yeah, an angel. Yeah. He himself is superior to angels. So this segment that we're going to talk about today really is all about that comparison. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, we we think that the the people that he's writing to are kind of hung up on angels, right? Uh, that would be a natural thing to do because because uh, Jesus' reputation for doing miracles, bringing people back from the dead. I mean, doing big things right. from a science perspective would would be something that during that time they'd say, well, you know, angels can do that clearly from the Old Testament. So maybe he's some kind of angel. So we think that that was probably. Uh, you know, we talked about last time how we make the idea of Jesus too small. Maybe he's an angel. Oh, no, he's much right. bigger than that. Well, and we know that there were particular Jewish parties in the first century who were so enamored with angels that they had yeah. created a whole kind of a hierarchy of angels in their yeah. understanding. Yeah. And uh, so the writer here is saying, you know. We're going to dash it, that right Yeah, we're just going to put the angels in their place. Yeah. They are another order of being entirely right. than the sun. So we're going to pick up in chapter one, starting at verse five. And what he's going to do is is uh, parade in front of us a list of what we call uncontested passages about the Messiah. The Messiah. Yeah. So he can drop these, and people go, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." So this is how we know he has a he has a uh, a Hebrew, a Jewish audience who's mm-hmm. conversant on the Old Testament. He just drops these things out and shows us the comparison between angels and Jesus to prove the point. He's okay. much bigger. And a Jewish audience also in, implicitly understood the distinction of a son as opposed to a servant yeah exactly and so that's kind of is what he's going to drive at here too very big deal and we might have to talk that even more as we go on because that high that idea of god's only son Mm -hmm. uh, that has a lot of cultural stuff that we don't share today so how do you want to get into it well that's actually where the writer starts right let's just start reading in verse five Uh, and you stop me when you think we've got enough to chew on for a minute just do five okay so verse five for to which of the angels did god ever say you are my son, today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be to me a son. Yeah. Which angel did God ever say that to? Yeah, and when we talk about father and son, uh, we get all messed up about trying to interpret that too literally or too strangely. But the, but from a Jewish idea, uh, 
an animal has an offspring of the same kind. And so this kind idea comes up. So the first place you can start with the father-son thing is that when you talk about fathers and sons, the son is of the same kind as the father. That's a, that's a really common old Hebrew idea. So, um, uh, so here we understand that in some level, and we'll go into this much more deeply, in some level, the son isn't really that separate from the father. He is the same kind as the father. That's a really strong idea. But there's more than that when we talk about the son. So, (laughs) yeah, I'm just still thinking about that. I'm thinking about John calling him the only begotten. And actually, I think that term is going to come up here in Hebrews at some point. Yeah. John uses it a lot. Yeah. In fact, you remember that Nicodemus meeting? He he mentions it there. Uh, He he mentions in John 3.16, later in John 3.18, the only son, the only begotten. So, uh, in fact, you can only have one firstborn son after that. Right. So so the idea is the uniqueness of who he is. So you put together the idea that here's, here's someone who is of the same kind as the father and a unique one in that sense as well. So we jumped into this so suddenly we probably need to remember that at the end of verse 4 the writer Hebrews had said he has become as much better than the angels that he's inherited a more excellent name than they so the The name name. in question here is son right as opposed to messenger or servant right and there's a lot tied up in that as well because in the first century and even before that uh, firstborn sons had the name of the father and they they could actually legally transact business for the father right. in his name and it was understood that everything that belonged to the father would come to right. that firstborn son right. and so, so he if you saw the son, dealt with the son, you were dealing with the father. Yeah. And he not only inherited the name of the father, he actually represented the name of the father as though he were the father. Okay. So the writer of Hebrews is here is saying, and he's referencing uh, Old Testament Psalms and and mm-hmm. his promise to David when he says, uh, he never said to anyone other than the son, you're my son. Right. So never said that to an angel. That's, a, that's right. That's a huge deal. And in fact, that comes out of Psalm 2. And if you're keeping a list here, there's there's some very prominent, I, I called them uncontested passages about mm-hmm. the Messiah. Man, Psalm 2 is a huge one. Right. It's huge. It, it's, it's legendary in Jewish lore. If you want to understand who the Messiah is, go to Psalm 2. Yeah, so go back and read Psalm 2. Every time you come in this passage today to a um, an Old Testament quotation, once you've understood what the where it fits in the New Testament writer's thought, then go back and look it up. Read the whole thing, Because the writer here is just using fragments out of these Psalms or the prophets, assuming that his readers understood what the whole Psalm was about. Yeah. And so yeah. he's just referencing the part that's that wants to pique their attention, but then yeah. he's assuming that they, oh, then they'll put two it. and two together yeah. and they'll know what the rest of the psalm said. Yeah. So we need to practice that because we're not as steeped in this Old Testament literature right. as they were. Right. So here we have this unique relationship, Jesus, son to the father. Uh, and that's that's not really an unusual idea. That's not a New Testament idea. You know, the son of God. Right. So that, right. In, in, so so that's just the start about how we were talking something about who Jesus is that's far superior than the angels. God never called them his son. Okay. And then he goes on in verse six and says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, well, there he is, the son. Mm-hmm. He says, let all God's angels worship him. Worship him. But of the wow. angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. 
Well, there's a pretty big difference in kind right there. <laughs> if the right? angels are worshiping him, the yeah. The firstborn is to yeah. be worshiped yeah. by the others, the angels, the messengers. And, and God is quite adamant in the Old Testament that you shall worship no one but himself. Only himself. So are we seeing here two gods being involved? Because in, <laughs> if you have an angel worship a, you know, right. a false god, no, they're still worshiping God himself when they worship the son Mm -hmm. that's a huge point that he's making right here huge so jesus is indeed preeminent and superior over all creation all beings that god has created in fact they worship him just in the same way as they worship god and in fact not in place of but he's they're worshiping god well and he likens the angels to wind and fire yeah they're they're my messengers they do my bidding they carry my intentions Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. they do not represent my personhood Right, right. And when he calls them ministers, I've always been fascinated by this word. This this word ministers here means literally people and workers. They're people workers yeah, is they, exactly they what the word means. Mm-hmm. So they serve. So they're servants. They're servants for the mm-hmm. benefit of the people that they go to. And he'll make that even more clear in a second here. So that's much different than who Jesus as the son is, you know, as the creator. The angels are, are people workers and they uh, and they have a message, you know, angel in, it, in its root means messenger. messenger. So mm-hmm. messengers, they have a message and winds, it's the word pneuma. It's exactly the same <sighs> thing. Yep. They, Blowing. They, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they're around breathing. you and you can't see them just right. like the air so there are there are a broadcast presence of messengers to people for their benefit so that's so much different than who jesus himself is so that he just starts right there well how about go to verse eight well but of the son he says oh now listen to this, this he's cool. talking of the son your throne O god is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom mm. Oh, so the son apparently has a kingdom. Yeah. How about that? And, and a scepter. He reigns. That's the, yeah, that's the permission to reign, the scepter. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, forever and ever. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, those are those are characteristics that to a Jewish reader, they would only liken to God himself. Exactly. Yes, God is the only one who can rule over Israel or over mankind. Yeah, exactly. And and what's interesting is that this is a very good king in verse 9. You have loved righteousness mm-hmm. and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So, you know, we, we, are, we pine away for rulers and leaders and kings who are all about good and against mm-hmm. bad. You know, we complain about corruption and government and stuff like that. Here's a king who is so pure that he loves righteousness and hates wickedness. And, you know, you should stand up and cheer and say, yeah, well, finally, <laughs> finally someone who's all about good and not about doing bad and takes rule about that. Well, and, and anointed by God to do that. So the anointed one, that picture is being designated by God and yeah. his Holy Spirit being person. given and identifying this this identifying fragrance of carrying out the work of God. Yeah. And so, you know, when when the psalmist says, you know, God, your God has anointed you, well, that actually is, that reference is picked up in Isaiah 61 when Isaiah says, mm-hmm. the Lord God has anointed me. Well, Jesus read that passage he aloud that in the synagogue in Nazareth. Yeah. He, he read in Luke 4, uh, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's verbatim from Isaiah 61. He read and it. Luke tells us he was reading from the Isaiah scroll. Yeah. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. (laughs) And he began to say to them, looking in their eyeballs, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he read them this passage. Yeah. And yeah. then looked him in the eyeball and said, you're looking at it. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Yeah. Very clear. Very it's, clear. Well, what's astonishing about that is, well, you know, people say he never claimed to be God or God's anointed. Well, well yes, he did. No, yeah, yeah. And their response was that they hustled him out of the synagogue and out to the edge of the cliff because they were going to throw him over for blasphemy. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It didn't go down well, but he made the proclamation right, right at the beginning. But here's the writer of Hebrews quoting that same yeah. passage. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus says, I'm the guy. I've always liked the picture, too, the oil of gladness. When you think about anointing, their mm-hmm. process when someone was chosen to do something, like when they chose little David to become the king later right, on, you right. know, you'd pour oil on their head. That was the... It smells good. It smells good. Yeah. That, that was this, that was the ritual. Right. And and as that oil came down your head, you were anointed, that, that you were chosen that way, you know? But but you, if you're chosen as a bad king, you would it would be the oil of oppression. If you're chosen as a good king, it would be a it would be oil of gladness. You're glad that this person has been chosen to rule over you. So, so that's why I like the oil of gladness because it's, because it goes with the anointing thing. So that's the effect of the anointing on the people who witness this, the ministry or the servanthood exactly. of this one, this designated one. Yeah. Hmm. We are glad he's been chosen to be king because he's all about righteousness and he hates, 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 hates wickedness. Yes, finally. So that's actually very good news. So much that he's done something about it. Exactly, yeah. This is the kind of king that you want. And and Isaiah says, you know, this is the king that we've been waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's push on. Boy, oh, my he's, goodness. He's just ripping them off here. Verse 10. Verse <laughs> so we're still comparing the sun with yeah. angels. Yeah. So verse 10 says, and, and he's quoting here yeah. another psalm. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You'll roll them up like a garment. They'll be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. So we're back to the creation thing. Yeah, but let me press on to finish the thought about the angels. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your Mm, feet? mm. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Mm. Right? So angels don't reign over us. No, they serve. The son is our king. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one that we that we worship mm-hmm. the angels mm-hmm. are servants they worship him too yep yep that's exactly right so here in a compressed form he already mentioned this in the previous in the first mm-hmm. four verses you've got tightly connected here uh his role as creator and the one who holds mm-hmm. it together his his role as um as the ruler the right hand man in that sense you know that all the enemies will be a footstool mm-hmm. for him and the fact that that is so far superior to the fact that angels although we like them really are just people workers for the benefit of those who are going to inherit right. salvation right so quite a, quite a huge distinction 
huge distinction. And so he, he quotes uh, right here. It's, it's, it's good to know about Psalm 102 because Psalm 102 is another one you might want to go mm-hmm. back and look at because he, he mentions it a couple times right here. But I like the fact that this king, this one who came and made the place, he will always exist even though the, the natural world he created will wear out like wear a out garment. Wear out like a garment. That wear out phrase, like a garment. that idea shows up a number of times yeah. in the scriptures. So, so it's coming to a planned end. Right. Yeah. It coming. just, it's wearing down through use. Yep. And it will come to a planned end, but his rule and reign will, will never, never stop. End. And How he about is that? unchanging. Right. Indeed, the writer of Hebrews is going to come back to that idea at the very end of the letter. A he little does. fragment of a verse that yep. you all know when yep. he says Jesus Christ is the same yep. yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, that's right. So so we have we have Jesus here who isn't just creator well that's a that's not an instant just i mean he's creator but but he's a creator who preceded the natural creation and he will come after the natural creation and he will reign and rule on both sides and it doesn't stop in nature and there's something hinted in this which you'll call more explicitly later about the fact that we have life expectations outside of this universe mm-hmm. wearing out like a garment he will continue to be king and ruler in our hearts as well so there's something that goes far beyond what we can see and touch that he's made that 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 preserves the fact that he indeed is our king and we are his subjects so he sits at the right hand until i make y- your enemies a footstool for your feet that was uh yeah that that comes also from another famous psalm uh comes from psalm 110 so, and, and da- uh, that Psalm of David, uh, Jesus used in an argument yeah, with the Pharisees. Yeah, Psalm 110 is a very famous messianic yeah. psalm, and they were still, they were talking about it greatly in oh, the yeah. time of Jesus, because it, it starts, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, yeah. sit at my right hand. Well, the question was, who is David talking about? Yeah, the Lord says to my if Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, says to my master. Well, right. who is the master? The Lord of David. Right. Well, God was. Oh, well, what? so Jesus even turned that on its head and turned it around to the crowd. And both yeah. uh, both Matthew and Luke record what he says to the crowd. Yeah, you know, so what do you say? Because the yeah. psalm says this. Let's talk about the scriptures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he, he has a great debate with them right there because they're stuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, the logic is, is just, it's you can't escape the logic. Yeah, so you can find that conversation in Luke 20, yeah. uh, 44. 41 to 44, and Matthew 22, 41 to 46. I would right. encourage you to look those up. Yeah, take it. Take a look at it as they use Psalm 110 as a debate about who is the real Messiah. Yeah, who, and Jesus himself about? opens yeah. the question and says, let's let's read this psalm together and talk about who is David talking about. Who is David talking about? David yeah. the king, the type of the Christ who was to come. Yeah. Who was he talking about? And I think it's instructive at this point that here when he he's finishing in verse 13, his list of, mm-hmm. you know, think about this, think about this, right. you know, these passages, these are uncontested. He uses that one, which is, which is such a zinger when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. It's such a paradigm shifter for the Pharisees that this is what the author of Hebrews finishes with. It's like, okay, you got all that stuff. Now, Psalm 110, what do you have yeah. to say about that? And that's his closing kind of salvo in this entire thing. Well, he's going to continue to kind of talk about the word that came through angels yeah, in, right. the, in the coming chapter. Yeah. But but this is the kind of the end of the big comparison 
between the sun right. and the ministering spirits. Yeah, and a smattering of these very important, very well-known passages. And, uh, you know, I, I would really encourage you to go check out Psalm 110, too. It, it figures in the top five of the best-known mm-hmm. messianic passages in the Old Testament, talking about who this Messiah is. Because the uh, the prophets throughout the entire Old Testament talked a lot about this one who was coming, who would be king in a way that everyone wanted. So mm-hmm. it really was an oil of gladness. We really want this guy to be there. But it, but it's uh, it's not hints, but it's comments that if you if you collect them all together, you go, well, who is this guy and when is he coming? And there's a couple of real hot spots, and Psalm 110 is one of those hot and spots. And Psalm two, if you Psalm put Psalm two, two and Psalm 10, 110 side yep. by side, exactly, uh, and and just begin to make a list for yourself. What you know? How might these mm-hmm. psalms be talking about? Jesus as well, the anointed king. And the king. one Jesus brings up, Isaiah 61. Right. Which, I mean, read, read all of Isaiah 61. It's a mind blower. Yeah, read the this first is, three or four verses This is completely. what Jesus is doing. This is who he is. I right. mean, it's astonishing. And and for those who would want righteousness and someone who would hate wickedness, you want this guy that's mentioned in mm-hmm. Isaiah 61. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, well, here I am. So Yeah, you're looking at him. I, another one I might point out, it was referenced here, I think, once or twice, was Psalm 45. Mm-hmm. Psalm 45 is really, really great because it, it talks about the mighty one. So it Im- implies so much about his rule and his justice uh, and, and the fact that he, he'll actually rule in righteousness. He rules for the purposes of good. Right. And not just, right. you know. Not just naked power, but for good itself. Right. So, because it's not good. I mean, it's not good news for us if he is this sovereign, eternal king, but he's not good. Right. I mean, right. That that's would be a, a bad despot. Deal. That's not a. That's <laughs> not a king that you want. That that's not a king anointed with the oil of gladness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the oil of gladness is. Yeah, we want this guy. He is actually pro goodness and anti wickedness. Yay! Finally, we're going to have some justice. So justice is strongly implied in all of that. And Psalm forty-five is one about the mighty one who will bring justice. His rule is all about righteousness, which is a really pretty good deal. So as you are studying this on your own uh, make a list compare what kind of statements are made about the sun and what kind of statements are made about angels and what is the difference how is he superior to the angels the firstborn as opposed to a ministering messenger or a servant to be worshipped as opposed to being a worshipper to be a king a righteous king as opposed to just a wind that does someone's servant for the people yeah so uh you know that's helpful what is the writer saying about the sun and begin mm-hmm. to put those things in your own words and then always ask the question, so what are the implications of that for me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where is this son Does he rule? in my understanding, my in life? my heart? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I recognize these things about him? And I think, I think to the degree we mentioned this before that we diminish the size of who mm. Jesus is. Yeah. We tend to diminish conveniently for us our need for response to who he is. Right. But come on, if he's actually, if he started this whole ball rolling, if he created everything, if he's holding the thing together, which means he's got, there's a purpose in story mm-hmm. here. And that at the end of it, it's all going to be wrapped up, wear out like a garment. And there's something after that. There, I mean, there's a, there's a large purposeful plan going forward in creation that he is at the center of. He's the one who did it. Mm-hmm. And, it and he, since he inherits it all, it's all going back to him. That's a gigantic thing because you and I are all creatures in that creation. So it begs 
the question. If he did this for a purpose, if there's, if there's something he has in mind, this is not accidental and we're part of that. We need to ask ourselves in relation to that creator mm-hmm. who himself is actively holding us together. I, w- I wonder what my response has to be to that yeah. because I can't avoid who Jesus is because he, he made the whole place. And there is a day coming when all of that we can see, touch and feel is going to be rolled up like a garment. You know, right. Revelation right. gives us that picture when the, the sky is rolled up and the stars fall and all <laughs> that. Right. And it's almost a picture of like the scenery being cleared from the stage. And yeah. suddenly when all the scenery is rolled up and taken away, we are standing face to face with the one who right. created it and holds it all together. And it's not a place where there's nothing. It's a place right. where everything is God himself. Yeah. So that it, it'll be interesting. Yeah. It, it, this is, this is how you make Jesus big when you realize that he's before and after right. all creation, but there's a purpose throughout the middle of it too. And that's where we are right now. Yeah. And actually, you know, it occurs to me now later on in the book, the writer of Hebrews is going to say, well, it's appointed to men to die once. Yeah, and then after comes that. judgment after that. when, it, when for you, the earth is rolled up and cast away like yep. a garment. When yep. your body is rolled up and cast away like a garment, yeah. then you're eyeball to eyeball with the one who judges righteously. Yeah. So so let Jesus be as big as the writer's telling you he is, mm. and don't let your own self voice, you know, argue yourself down that Jesus is smaller than you. So you don't really have to, you don't really have to make any decisions about him. Because yeah, you know, you can even actually use the, this passage that we've talked about today, and especially the one from last week, in your personal worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just take these phrases one at a time and linger on them and speak them back to the Lord in prayer. And mm-hmm. see where, how the Spirit works in you as you are meditating on who is this Son? Yep. Yeah. And can He be far away when, in fact, He's actively holding everything mm. together? <laughs> <laughs> it means He's holding not just the macro things together. He's holding the micro things, right. that, the things in me, That's my right. heart, my lungs, my so there, blood cells. There is a nearness of this Creator yeah. in us who's... Like Paul said uh, up in Athens, he's, he's, he, he's, he made us so that we might grope around in the dark and find him. But he's not far from any of us. And that's exactly what he's saying in so many ways here. I'll, I'll give you one actually ho- homework assignment if you want to do. Sure. Uh, Jesus told a parable in Matthew 21 about a, a vineyard owner. Oh, yes. I looked at that. <laughs> and sent his, sent his messengers back and finally sent his son. You might take a look at that because that whole, that whole parable is mentioned in so many ways here. It's in Matthew 21. So... Just go take a look and see if you see the parallels there. Got a closing comment? Well, I was just thinking about how Paul in the letter to Colossians says, now don't let anybody defraud you by delighting in the worship of angels. Exactly. Because we have one who is so much better than an angel. Right. We have the only begotten, firstborn son of God himself. The king of kings, whose name is above all names, and we worship him. The only thing he has in common with angels is they're supernatural. But after that, there's a huge gulf between Mm. the two huge goal they're his creation worship him so we're glad you're with us join us next week and we'll keep pushing forward this is exciting oh we love hebrews so so i'm jim (laughs) and i'm dorothy and we'll see you next week bye-bye bye-bye more than ink is a production of main street church of brigham city and is solely responsible for its content to contact us with your questions or comments just go to our website morethaninc.org. That's, right That's no good. <laughs>